The title of this message is The Truth About Hell. And, and this is no kidding. When I came in this morning, that thermostat was on 80, and I was sweating like a pig. So, well, I suppose that that's... <laughs> so I, I hope it's a little cooler up there in the balcony for you, actually. And uh, this sermon's... A, we're going to talk about death and mortality because it's, we can't rationalize the way. It, it's a part of our vocabulary that we don't visit till we have to. But nonetheless, it's reality, and it faces us. So uh, I don't mean this in any morbid way, because you'll be going home, but if you die on my watch, this is exactly what I'll look like when I preach your going home service. I just want you to, I won't have, you know, I, that's, that's just the way it is. So I, I just want you to take some comfort in that, that the guy preaching your going home service won't look like a bum. But anyhow, that's, the, that's kind of the deal. John Donne in 1624 wrote these words in his devotions upon emergent occasions. Meditation number 17. No man is an island, entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, as well as if a manner of thy friends or of thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me, because I am involved in mankind, and therefore... Never sin to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. He's citing the connectedness of mankind in life and in death. And when he talks about when the bell tolls, he's talking about because we have all, all part of this and because we will all die, that that death bell is going to ring for you someday. And there, there's not too much you can do to get out of it, actually. There's not anything. Now, back in his days, when the Black Plague was in Europe, in the cities and villages, when somebody died, they rang the bell. Now, they said that when the Black Plague was in its full force, that the bell run 24-7 because there was that many people dying. So we need not worry and ask who the bell is tolling. It's going to toll for us unless, unless Jesus Christ shouts and the eastern sky splits open and we see Christ calling his home and you hear his voice, he's come on home, kids. Unless that happens, all of us in this place, we're going we're to cross that river. We're going to reach that threshold that we call death. And here's the thing. It cannot be rationalized away. We humans are experts on rationalization. We, 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 we try to do this with God. We rationalize it away. But this is not something you can do that with. And I say this at a lot of going home services because it makes so much sense. Death is that part of life that grabs us by the lapels and pulls us clear up and stares us right in the eye and says, what are you going to do about me? You can look the other way on a lot of things. Rationalize till the cows come home. You can't rationalize me away because someday I'm going to be knocking on your door. Get this, 150,000, more than 150,000 people die every day. That's 4.5 million each month, a number that exceeds the population of Los Angeles, California. Add to that number of dead throughout human history, it's a staggering figure. It's hard for us to grasp, actually. Tragically, many of these people died without knowing Christ. And here's the question that the world asks, well, what faces them? What, what's on that other side of door, that door called death? What's there? Now, we've seen cartoons and people talk about it. 
You'll see a tombstone, and on it, it'll say, R.I.P., rest in peace. My friends, if we believe the Bible and we believe God is real, those who die without Christ, I'll guarantee you there's no peace beyond the grave. Those who reject God and his way of salvation don't find rest when they die. They enter into an eternal hell where there's no peace for the wicked. That's a grim, terrible reality, and it's what the Bible teaches. And I would love to stand up here today and tell you that that's not so, that all dogs go to heaven, that everybody that dies because God loves us so much that he ignores sin and looks the other way, and when we leave this earth, it's all going to be one big party. That's a lie that Satan spreads. He wants people to believe that, actually. The real conflict over the biblical doctrine of hell is essentially an issue of authority. What the Bible affirms about hell forces us to believe or disbelieve, to accept it or reject it. It's your choice. It's it's back to the same question that confronts everyone. Do you believe the Bible or do you not? That is on you. You can see it as just a myth or whatever, or you can believe or see it as the infallible word of God spoken through God himself on the use of a human arm and a human mind that the Holy Spirit spoke into and guided those words. That's what I believe, and that's my stance, and I will die on that, that this is the word of God and what God says about life, about heaven, about hell, about our wives, about our kids, about life in general. It's all true, and he's given us this blueprint. You know, Pastor Jeff did a great job speaking on that a few weeks ago about the Word of God. But that's the conflict. And so it comes down to each one of us in our own lives. We can accept it or reject it. We can believe it or not. But what's critical here, the Bible is the only authority source that tells the truth about death and hell and eternity. The Bible has the final word on the subject and on every subject because is it a revealed book? It comes from God from the spiritual realm and has the answers about where all of us will spend eternity one day. So what does the Bible teach about hell? Here's what hell is. Far from legend, myth, metaphor, allegory, the Bible presents hell as a real place. That it's not come out of the mind of Stephen King or Hollywood. It's not come from Madison Avenue, but it's come from the throne room of God that this place is real, as real as this stand is holding my notes and my Bible today. It is real. It is there where unbelievers suffer the wrath of God. And that's another thing that is hard for us to wrap our minds around. Man, oh man, I, I like the concept of, 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 of a loving God that loves me so much that he just lets me do what I want. That's the problem with our reasoning sometimes. God is love, and he loves you more than you can imagine. But he is a just God. And there are things in life that happens to us where he warns us what we need to do and how we need to act. Now, if we reject and don't heed those warnings, we're getting into uh, another area there that we'll talk about in a minute. The real conflict is that. Do you believe or not? Here's three different New Testament writers. Now, when I read this, if if you can... Just close your eyes and and try to picture these scenes in your mind as I read these words. 
Then the king will say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Matthew 25, 41, 46. Here's Mark 9, 43. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than have, having your two hands to go to, into hell, into the unquenchable fire, where the worm does not die and the end is not, and the fire is not quenched. And in Revelation 20:15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So the Bible, the scripture presents this terrifying, clear case for a literal hell. It's a place where God punishes unbelievers for all eternity. And it's contrary to what some evangelicals even believe that, that are teaching that hell's a state of mind, that this earth in which we live is hell. This, is, this, not, this won't hold anything close to what God has prepared for those who don't believe in him. And I know that if we think, man, that's harsh. It's the truth. I didn't write this. I'm not speaking at his words. I'd have us all live together and have a big party forever. But I'm not in charge, you see. That's the point that I'm trying to make. Your state of mind can be changed. Your circumstances can improve. Hell never changes. It never improves. It is not chastisement. It is everlasting, insufferable punishment at the hands of a just God. Why is he angry? Because people have rejected him. Because people have killed his prophets. Because people have spit in the face of Christ in their unbelief. That's why he's angry. And I think he's sad at the same time that he has offered this life to us and so many people reject it. According to the revelation Jesus gave the Apostle John, the fate of every unbeliever is this. To drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night. Revelation 14, 10, and 11. That's a warning. Warning, warning, warning. He gives us warnings over and over. If you reject me, if you reject my Christ, if you reject this plan of salvation, this is your forever. That, that aggravates people. You ever tell anybody that? Even if you're telling them at love, it aggravates them, makes them mad. You know why? The Holy Spirit squeezes in their heart, and they know that it's true, but they don't want to accept it. Through every New Testament, author acknowledges the doctrine of hell. Jesus has more to say about it, the most, actually. Actually, Jesus talked about hell more than he did heaven. The existence, existence of hell wasn't something Jesus questioned, debated, or defended, and he certainly didn't apologize for it. He assumed the reality of hell just as much as he did the resurrection, John 5, 28 and 29. Don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son, and they will rise again, and those who have done good will rise to eternal life. Those who have continued in evil will rise to judgment. Jesus viewed hell as a, a real place, a certainty, and so should we. When Jesus talked about hell, his purpose, always to warn. Warning, warning, 
warning. When we get on 41 or even here in town, you get on Interstate 70, there's a speed sign. That's a warning. If you exceed that, there's a chance that you're, it's going to get in your pocket a little bit to something we love a lot, and that's our money. That's a warning. You tell a child not to touch a hot stove. They touch that stove, they're going to get burnt. That's a warning. They know the consequences. That is why it's so important for us to spread the gospel and teach the word and give the warning, so to speak. Now, if people continue to reject that, reject Christ, reject church, do whatever, the Bible tells them or tells us where they're headed. And it's the point that we need to tell people that with tears in our eyes. He didn't do it to raise questions or plant doubts when Jesus talked about hell. Consider the graphic words he used to portray hell. They clearly aren't meant to provide comfort, but to frighten. To instill the fear of God in human hearts. I'd say the majority of this morning, we would probably say, we really don't fear God. Why? Because a lot of us has taken advantage of grace. Man, Lord, I know if I go ahead and do this sin, you're going to forgive me. You promised. And the blood of Christ covers that sin. But again, and I yammer about this incessantly, he's not going to get you out of the consequences. If I do something really stupid, which I am capable of, whether I drive 85 or 90 on Interstate 70 and get a ticket, I'm going to have to pay that ticket. God's not going to get me out of it. But I had the warning. I didn't listen to it. And that's mild compared to some of the stuff that you and I are capable of doing, actually. According to Jesus, hell is a place of outer darkness, Matthew 22, 13. And where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, it's a strange sentence. It's a strange thought, but gnashing of teeth, it's, it's grinding the teeth. You're in agony and anguish. Hell is a fiery furnace, Matthew 13, 42, and 50. It's a place of unquenchable fires, Mark 9, 48, and 49. Hell is a place of spiritual and bodily destruction, Matthew 10, 28, where there are endless torments, Luke 16, 23 through 24. Here in Luke 16, as I say a lot, that, that, that supernatural curtain that we can't see, God opens it up a little bit. Jesus opens up, and we get a, we get a glimpse into hell and we, we get a picture of a person that went to hell and what they're going through, actually. Luke 16 is, a, is, is one of the few places that you get a glimpse into the afterlife. Luke 16, 19 through 24. Jesus said there was a re- certain rich man who was splendidly clothed and who lived each day in luxury. At his door lay a deceased beggar named Lazarus. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's tables, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the beggar died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Lazarus in the far distance with Abraham, and the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in anguish. In these flames. He had memory. He had sight. He had senses. He was thirsty. He was burning. Hell is most certainly a place, a horrific place, where agonizing conditions exist, where there is no way out. Now, you and I perhaps 
have been somewhere in situations beyond your control and you were trapped in a sense. Maybe, maybe it was an airplane or an elevator or a jail cell. Uh, to me, it was 13 weeks of boot camp. I was trapped, but I knew it was going to come to an end and you would get out. And some people, it's being stopped in traffic. Diane and I come home from Florida. We was on I-75 just north of Atlanta. It took three hours to go 12 miles. That's tough on ADHD people. And I know that none of you, it, would, it wouldn't bother you. You would probably be happy. You've driven, got up at 4 in the morning, drove all day, and now you was in this huge traffic jam, and I know you'd be sitting in your car going, praise Jesus, thank you, Lord, for putting me in this situation. Not really, but that is the birthplace of road rage. Who ever tries to get off on the shoulder and drive to get to an exit? Is there any honest people? God bless you, Mike Dean. I knew that you was one of them. All right, all right. I, I, I have done that before. Fact is, when Mark Mason was, was in the hospital in Indy, Linda, you remember this probably. They were sitting in a line of traffic, and I don't remember it was up toward Indy, but here comes this Jeep flying down the shoulder. I once said, well, who's that goofball? So, well, that's Eddie. I was... I drove probably eight miles on the shoulder to get to the next exit. I, that's probably illegal. I, I, that just, I, I don't know. I'm just guessing, you know. But anyhow, you know that's going to end someday or sometime you're going to get out of it. Remember the mine that collapsed August 5th, 2010 in Chile. 33 miners were trapped thousands of feet below ground. It took 69 days, but all of them were rescued from their underground tomb. We love stories like that. They, against odds, unthinkable odds actually, finding a surprise exit route or the exception of a successful rescue in the 11th hour. But that's not possible when it comes to hell. This is hard for me to wrap my mind around. God built the prison of hell, and there are no doors and no windows. God is hell's jailer, and there's no key. There are no escape routes. There is no one powerful enough to rescue anyone out of God's hand. That's why Jesus said, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus himself said that. Hell offers no means of escape, rescue, or relief. No way out ever. The occupants of hell are sealed in their damnation. Revelation 22:11. Friends and family can't help. God won't help. The time for mercy has passed. Hell is the final forever. There's one who knows exactly what awaits the wicked. Jesus told us this story about the rich man Lazarus. Here's that same passage from Peterson's The Message. This is how he puts it. There was once a rich man, expensively dressed in the latest fashion, wasting his days in conspicuous consumption. Poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, had been dumped on his doorstep. All he lived for was to get a meal from scraps off the rich man's table. His best friends were the dogs who came and licked his sores. Then he died, this poor man, and was taken up to the, by the angels to the lap of Abraham. And the rich man also died and was buried in hell and in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham in the distance and Lazarus in his lap, and he called out, Father Abraham, mercy, have mercy. Send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you got the good things and Lazarus the bad things. It's not like that here. Here he's consoled. You're tormented. Besides, in all these matters, there is a huge chasm set between us so that no one can go from us to you, even if he wanted to, nor can anyone cross over from you to us. That was part of the torment for that rich man. 
he could see paradise and he could see what he missed. Whether it was his ego, his obstinance, his unbelief, he had missed, he missed that. Dante in his inferno seemed to be to understand that message. His imagery, imaginary inscription over hell's entrance, says this Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. He rightly pictured hell as a place where mercy or hope are left at the door. Some don't believe that. Some believe that you get second chances, and that doesn't come from the Bible. Other whole, others in universalism hold this belief that hell's just for a little time, that in the end, God's going to redeem everybody and build us all a, a, a nice kingdom that we can all live happily ever after. John Blanchard, an evangelist from Britain, writes this about this. All the ways to hell are one-way streets. The idea that those who go there will eventually be released and join the rest of humanity in heaven is not a shred of biblical evidence to support it. Children are sometimes told fictional adventure stories with a delightful ending, and they all lived happily ever after. We call that kind of story a fairy tale. End of quote. Children need to hear stories of Jesus and his love and his hope from humans and mankind. That's why I appreciate Chris and all the people that help upstairs teaching these kids about Christ and about, about what's going to happen in life. Many children do not know about Christ and about heaven or hell, and they need to. In the movie, The Cure, Dexter, age 11, has AIDS. And the boy next door, Eric, is a little older, and they have become friends, but Eric's mother and grandmother don't want Eric hanging out with Dexter because he has AIDS. L listen closely to the perception that these children have and what they've heard from adults. They ended up giving me two pints of blood. I guess that's a lot for a baby. My grandmother says you're going to hell. She says you'll suffer eternal torture from a billion flames, hotter than the center of the sun. Well, she must be some kind of genius. What? Well, my doctor's really smart. He says he has no idea what happens to people after they die. If your grandmother knows, she must be a genius. She's a clerk at Kmart. Maybe she's just an underachiever. No. She's an idiot. So maybe I won't go to hell after all. Are you sure those germs of yours don't travel through the air? Yeah, why? How old are you? Eleven. You're a midget. Well, if you look at the lower limit of what's considered normal for my age, I'm only four inches shorter. Oh. So, you know how to play Battleship? You, you see some people's concept of hell and 
who goes there, what the conditions are, what the criteria is. Here this young man's grandma told this little boy with AIDS, he was 11, you're going to hell. You're going to a place that the middle, it's hotter than the middle of the sun. And why are you going there? Because you have this disease. We humans attribute a lot of things to a lot of people. Do you know why at this moment, why that rich man is down there still wanting to drink? It's because he, he didn't believe in Jesus. People go to hell because they don't believe in Christ. They're not there because of their vices. We, we like to say that, and we, we've had this discussion a lot, how we point at different groups of people and say, people go to hell because they don't believe in Jesus. I, I, and here's the point. People that are in lifestyles that they shouldn't be, it's my prayer, whether they're gay, whether they're adulterers, whether they abuse their wives and kids, whether they beat people, whether they cheat on their taxes, whether they lie, doesn't matter. The point is we try to get them hooked up with Christ and the Holy Spirit can help change them into the lifestyle that God wants us to live. That is the point. That, that is the point. It's, that is why it's God's call. I, I praise his name that I am not the gatekeeper. I don't decide who goes and who stays. It's not on me. It's on God. That is, and, and that has released me because people will say, if I have their loved one's funeral or whatever, do you think they're in heaven? I hope so. <laughs> they've, made their, they've made that move. They've crossed that river. There's nothing we can do on this side of the river to alter their course. They've already, they've already made that, that decision, so to speak. In the face of such clear, undeniable evidence about hell from the pages of Scripture, it seems absurd that professed evangelists would challenge the existence, nature, or eternity, or eternality of hell. But we shouldn't be surprised because Satan continues his efforts to make sin less offensive. And we, we who are older have seen that. We have seen the things change over the years. I can come up with a whole list of things. Satan has interjected in the minds of our young people that it's all right to have premarital sex. There's no big deal. That comes from Satan. That's why it's so popular. He's pushing it. And, and, and we parents in the church maybe has not made a strong enough stand. But it, it's, it's, it's out there. It, it's the world in which we live. We can't make that less offensive. And, and like I said, People that cheat on their wife, I, I can go on and on and on to the things that we are capable of and sometimes that we do, but we cannot take the offensiveness out of that. We've got to see it as it is. Sin is sin and God hates it and it affects us. We can't, you can't soft soap that. Satan wants us to believe that, that heaven is less appealing, that hell is less horrific and the gospel is less urgent. It can never get less urgent. I'll guarantee you today that within the, all of us sitting here, we know people, maybe there's even some in our own house, in our own families that we work with that do not know Christ and are headed to a burning hell, and that should cause us to do something about it. Yeah. But we just kind of sometimes just, and I'm not talking about grabbing people by the throat and choking them or beating them on the head. I'm, I'm saying allowing us to be mirrors of Christ and the love of Christ flowing through us. People's only hope is Jesus Christ. I don't care what their problem is. 
As we've said before, all problems in life come from sin and come from Satan, actually. We create some of them ourselves, but nonetheless, we got to put the burden of proof where it lies. Don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. The Word of God leaves no doubt about the existence or nature of hell. With clarity and authority, God has told us everything we need to know about hell and how to avoid it through the merits of Christ. And people will say, nah, you're just, you're just, hanging, you're just hanging over hell over his to scare us. Well, I tell you what, friend, I'd rather scare you into heaven than let you, just let you float into hell without any objection, so to speak. You look for clips, and Hollywood's done a pretty good job on different things. I've never ran across anything that really brings out the starkness and the reality of hell or what happens when a Christian dies or what happens when an unbeliever dies. The closest that I can get is, you remember Ghost and Patrick Swayze. I don't know about Patrick Swayze. He was smiling, and he's already gone somewhere. I know that. But anyhow, when he died, you know, the heavens opened, and it's like a bright light and stairway. Maybe, I don't know. But the thing is, when the evil guy died, that was a whole different deal. You've seen these black forms coming out of the floor, making all kinds of noises, and grabbing this guy and dragging him through the floor, screaming and kicking. He was going into torment, and I don't know. But I know it's real, however it happens. We avoid this through the merits of Christ. The merits of Christ, he offers you his great gift of salvation. It's found in the steps to peace with God. And there's copies on the info table out there. There's some here, perhaps scattered. And I know there's some on the balcony table. I just put them up there. This shows you the plan of God. It shows you how to know Christ. We'll get into the prayer. We'll show you here in a minute on the big screen. Points the way. Jesus offers humans two kinds of life if we accept it. Again, you can say, no, I don't want any part of it, or you want, you want it. It's up to you. First, here on earth, he offers us abundant life in all of its fullness. John 10, 10, a life, if we accept it, a purpose, fulfillment, adventure, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Galatians 5, that's the fruit of the Spirit. And if we accept it, if we are believers, these are the, the things that should be flowing out of our lives right now. If you are a follower of Christ and you have none of these in your life, you've got a spiritual problem and you need to deal with it. Because we who live in Christ, these things should be coming out of our lives. Second, he offers us eternal and ending forever life with him in the Father's house. Jesus tells his disciples in John 14, 1 through 6, Don't be troubled. You trust God, now trust in me. There are many rooms in my Father's home, and I am going to prepare a place for you. If this were not so, I would tell you plainly, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will be with me where I, always where I am. And you know where I'm going and how to get there. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We haven't any idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he offers us this life. So we accept it or reject it. Let me ask you an important question, probably the most important question you hear today, maybe this week or for. If you died today, would you go to heaven? Do you know that? Without a doubt, that when I ask it, the question is there immediately, that it's in your mind and in your heart that you know it. Because if you're not going to heaven, 
The Bible tells us you're going to hell. It's a valid question. Only you can answer. I hope the answer is to go to heaven. I praise God for that. If it's not, you need to seek Christ's face. You had a choice. Accept or reject Christ as Savior. It's, all, it's, it's up to you. you. You have to make that decision. If you don't know Jesus, here's how. This is, this is one of the, been the best tools I've ever used in my life to show people the way. It's simple, and, and children can understand it, or I probably wouldn't have got it myself. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. John 1.12, Romans 10.9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Here's how you receive Christ. Admit you're a sinner. Be willing to turn from your sins. Believe that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross and rose from the grave. And, and I say this a lot. This is not the prayer. It's a prayer. It, it's, it's, the words are, are coming from your heart to God. And let's look at it together. If you don't know Christ, if you say this prayer, mean it in your heart. That's the point. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior in your name. Amen. The Holy Spirit is the one that prompts that. As God, God knocks on your heart. As we sing here in a minute, if, if you want somebody to pray with you and explain this, if you want to accept Christ, or perhaps you have this morning, would you come let us pray for you? If you need to be baptized, it's an outward sign of an inward change. It's your witness to the world. We're going to do that on April 2nd. Um, I've often said, as I've walked this earth and since I became a believer, I wish I could just go out and touch people, make them believe. It doesn't work like that. God has to go to that heart. And I pray that that's what he's doing here today and that you are open to that. You know, God says, I don't want anybody to perish, but I want everyone to come to repentance. But that same God who loved us enough to come and to live and to die for us, he will become our judge on the other side of that river. And it's going to be a whole different ballgame because you have rejected him. Lord, I love these people with all my heart, and I lift them up to you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, as you deal with our hearts this morning, that we're, we're honest. And Lord, I pray for those that know you. I pray the ones that have just maybe has made that commitment, and I pray for those that continue to reject you. I pray for their families, Father, as well, that uh, somewhere in that life, somewhere in that family experience that perhaps from even one of us that we hang out together with that the love of Christ would flow through and that seed might take root, Lord. We know, Lord, you're a good, good father and you love us and you have prepared a place that's beyond our wildest imaginations to spend forever. But there's one stipulation. We have to believe in you. We have to give our hearts to you. We have to become your children and that's our prayer here today, Lord, that... Uh, we just be obedient. We ask these things in your name. Amen.